You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. I wanted to thank you for listening to this message from our teaching team, and I pray that God uses it to touch your heart. Well, if if any of you are visitors today, or if you've never been here during Purim, um, you are in for a treat. It is not your typical service. There's, it is going to be noisy. Um, there are costumes. <laughs> All right. Well, I have something special today. If I could have my helpers, Analia and Naomi, I have some costumes. Now, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish households, Purim is actually a time where you get to dress up, almost like Halloween costumes, and you dress up as, as powerful people, as superheroes, as kings and queens, um, because the story of Esther is all about kings and queens and doing really great things. So the kids get to dress up. Since I didn't give everybody a heads up on dress-ups, I brought some things for you. So Analia and Naomi are going around with crowns. There's very big, manly crowns, and there's very feminine, girly crowns. If you want to pretend to be Esther or King Xerxes. Now, there is also an evil guy in our story, and his name is Haman. Good job, good job. And I am going to be reading the story of Esther, and every time I say the name Haman, you're gonna boo, you can, and then we've got noisemakers that Carl's gonna walk around and he's gonna hand out some noisemakers. You can make your noise, you can jingle your keys, you can boo, and I have some extra wonderful mustaches for the boys if they want to bring up their mustache for Haman. Yeah, so go ahead and hand out, go ahead and hand out everything. So if you, if you want, as a child, if you want one of the little crowns or anything, raise your hand. Make sure that Analia and Naomi can get over there to you. I'll give you guys some time to get all your stuff settled. <laughs> now, here's the other challenge. Adults and children alike, here's the other challenge. When is the only time we make the noise? When we say Haman, now if, I'm, if I say Esther, should you boo and make noise? No, not Esther. What about Mordecai? No, there's another person in the story. His name is King Xerxes. Are you going to boo at King Xerxes? No, even if he does some mean things, we're not going to boo at him. Only Haman, okay? So let's have a little practice. Blah, 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 la di da di da blah, blah, blah. Haman. Good job. All right. All right, let me just get set up here so we are all ready. All right. We are going to start the story of Purim. And it begins over 2,000 years ago. It's okay, it'll come too. Don't worry, it'll come. It begins over 2,000 years ago when the Holy Temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. The Jewish people were sent away from the land of Israel and they were forced to live in Babylon. Shh. Shh. I haven't said Haman yet. Shh. All right. They were forced to live in Babylon. 50 years later, Babylonia was defeated by Persia and King Xerxes was the second Persian king. 
He ruled 127 provinces from India to Kush, the largest, strongest kingdom in the world. Now a new king needs a new capital, so Xerxes chose the city of Susa. And to celebrate, he made a tremendous feast for all the important people in the kingdom. Now on the last day of the feast, while the king was in, shall we say, high spirits, he began to brag that his queen Vashti was the most beautiful woman in all of the kingdom. So he commanded her to come and to display her beauty before the crowd. But Vashti was the proud granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar, and she refused to appear. The king was furious, and so he consulted his advisors as to what should be done with this disobedient queen. According to the law, the king issued a decree that Vashti was never, ever, once again to enter the presence of the king. And she was stripped of her royal title. They took away her crown. But now Xerxes had a problem. He needed a new queen. And he wanted somebody even more beautiful than Vashti. So his men went from house to house to house in all of Persia, taking the most beautiful young girls away to Susa, where they were added to the king's harem. And for 12 full months, they were pampered with beauty treatments until it was their turn to be introduced to the king. Now in Susa there was a Jewish orphan by the name of Hadassah, and she lived with her cousin Mordecai. And when the king's men came to her house, Mordecai said, don't be afraid, Hadassah, go with them. But don't tell anyone that you are a Jewess. Tell them your Persian name, Esther. Now, Esther was kind and gentle and very beautiful. And as soon as the king saw her, he chose her as his new queen. But Esther had a secret. No one knew that she was a Jew. Every day, Mordecai, her cousin, sat outside the palace gates waiting for news about Esther. Now one day, while he was outside the palace, Mordecai overheard two men talking. He happened to hear that they were plotting to kill the queen, or to kill the king. So he warned Esther, and the two men were caught and killed. And it was written down in a royal book somewhere that Mordecai saved the king, but the matter was soon forgotten. Soon after, Xerxes appointed Haman. The Agagite as his new prime minister. And all the king's subjects were ordered to honor Haman and bow down to him. Now, everyone did bow down to him, except Mordecai. Day after day, the royal officials urged Mordecai to obey the king's command, but he refused. Well, Haman was furious. That's right, he was furious, and he went straight to the king to complain. He said, there is one nation scattered through your kingdom, which is different than all the other nations. They don't eat our food, they don't drink our wine, and they don't marry our daughters. They don't keep the king's laws, and they don't even work. Every seventh day, they rest, and they're always celebrating some holiday. Give me some permission, king. I will destroy them for you. I'll even pay for any expense 
out of my own money. Well, Xerxes gave Haman his royal ring. Oh, poor, poor Rosanna. His royal ring to seal the orders and the decrees. Anxious to do a perfect job, Haman. He wanted to execute his plan on the perfect day, on a lucky day blessed by his gods and the stars. So he cast lots, called Purim in Hebrew, to choose the day. And then he sent out letters sealed with the king's royal ring to each of the 127 provinces in the kingdom. And this is what it said. On the 13th day of the month of Adar, you are to destroy, kill, and slaughter all Jews, young and old, women and children, all in one day. Their money and property will then belong to you. When Mordecai heard of this decree, he ripped his clothes and he put ashes on his head as a sign of mourning. He told Esther that she must go to the king and try to save the Jews. Well, Esther was afraid. The law forbid anyone to approach the king without an invitation. To do so resulted in death unless the king offered immediate pardon. But Mordecai said to her, Do not think that because you are in the king's house alone, you and all the Jews will escape. You of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Esther asked the Jews in Susa to fast and pray for her for three days. When the three days were over, Esther put on her royal robes. And she stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. And when the king saw Esther... He was pleased, and he held out his gold scepter, offering her pardon. And he said to her, What is your request, my queen? Half of my kingdom is yours for the asking. But Esther asked only that the king and Haman that they come to a private banquet that she was making. And at the banquet, Xerxes asked again, What is your wish, my queen? Whatever you want is yours. But Esther only invited the king and Haman to a second party. Well, Haman, he was delighted to be included in such an intimate gathering. And on his way out of the palace, he passed Mordecai at the gate. And his delight turned to hate. I am important enough to be invited to the queen's private banquet together with the king. And that Jew refuses to bow down to me. He wanted to kill Mordecai then and there without waiting for the 13th of Adar. Do it, advised his evil wife. So Haman built a gallows. 50 cubits high in his own courtyard, his own backyard. He would hang Mordecai at the very first opportunity. Well, that night, the king was having a hard time falling asleep. He tossed and turned, and he finally called for a servant to bring out the royal book and to read him to sleep. The heavy book fell open to the story, 
of how Mordecai had warned warned of the plot against the king and saved the king's life. What reward did he receive, asked the king. None, sir, was the reply. He saved my life and received no reward, stormed the king. Just then, someone knocked. It was Haman. He was coming for permission to hang Mordecai the Jew. He was in such a hurry, he couldn't even wait for the morning. Haman, thundered the king. Tell me, what should be done for a man that the king wishes to honor? Ooh, he must be referring to me, thought Haman gleefully. I know just the thing, he said. Let this man wear the king's royal robes. Place the king's royal crown upon his head. Let him ride the king's royal horse and let a servant walk before him and the horse crying out, Make way! This is a man whom the king wishes to honor. Wonderful idea, cried Xerxes. I'm going to leave it all to you. Could you go find uh, Mordecai the Jew and do exactly as you described, down to the last detail? Oh, Haman. He was furious, but Xerxes is the king, and so he had to do as he was commanded. And Mordecai was led with royal honor through the streets of Susa. Now, Haman, he returned home a bitter, broken man. But he had no time to brood. He had to be at the royal palace in time for the queen's second banquet. Once again, the king asked, What is it you desire, Esther? Why have you invited us here? Speak, and it shall be done. This time, Esther spoke. Spare my life, she cried, and the lives of my people. We have been sentenced to death. Death? Your people? By whom? asked the surprised king. By the evil and wicked man, your minister, Haman. The king was so astounded that he marched out of the room to regain his composure. Trembling with fear, Haman... He threw himself onto the queen to beg for mercy. But at that very moment, Xerxes returned and cried, What? You dare to attack the queen in my own palace? Take him away and hang him, he shouted. And in the end, Haman was hung on the gallows he himself had built for Mordecai. And Mordecai became the king's new prime minister in place of him. Now, according to Persian law, it was impossible to change a decree stamped by the royal seal. So the king could not cancel the decree against the Jews. But Mordecai was given the royal signet ring to issue whatever new decree he could think of to help save the Jews. So it was Mordecai's turn to send out a royal letter. And it said, On the 13th day of Adar... The Jews in every city have the right to assemble and protect themselves, to defend their family against any armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The Persians were more than happy to listen to Haman and kill the Jews. But if the Jews were going to arm themselves and fight back under royal protection... 
Well, that was another story. So on the 13th of Adar, Jews across the kingdom assembled and defended themselves. And thousands of their enemies were killed, including Haman's. He had, he had ten evil sons, and they were taken care of. Unlike the Persians who planned to take money and property, the Jews took no loot at all from their enemies. Now Esther asked the rabbis to write down the story of Purim and include it in the scrolls. And it was written and sent to the Jews throughout the kingdom. The rabbis commanded the people to keep the holiday of Purim forever as a day of thanksgiving, of feasting, and of joy, of sending gifts to friends and money to the poor. And that is just what the Jews have been doing ever since. All right. Yay, you guys did such a good job of holding your noisemakers quietly at the other times and booing the evil Haman. So what I'm going to ask you to do, uh, I thought that was going to happen. What I'm going to ask you to do is pass your noisemakers to the end of the aisle just to remove some distraction because we're going to talk a little bit about the story. So everyone can move their noisemakers to the side. Very good. Well, I love the story of Esther, and I would really encourage you, if you get a chance sometime this week, sit down and read it. It reads just like a story. It's a very quick read. I read a shortened version because the entire book of Esther would take a a much longer time than maybe we want to take today to read the story. But I really encourage you to read it. Now, with the kids at home, we've been talking a lot about story development and plots and settings and characters. And so that's what I wanted to take you through today. I wanted to take you through the settings and the plot and the character, the characters and the story of Esther. So we start with the setting. Esther takes place in 1450 B.C., Now, the Jews have been in exile for about 100 years up to this point. If you remember your history, the Assyrians were a big, you know, a big, what's the word? Group of people. Empire, thank you, that's the word I'm looking for. The Assyrians were a really big empire, and they conquered the northern kingdom. Then the Babylonians came in, and they conquered the southern kingdom. Now, when the Babylonians conquered Israel, they gathered up all the all the wise men, all the rich people, all the traders, and they took them out of Israel into exile, into Babylon. And they had been living in Babylon during this time. Now, while the Jews were in Babylon, the Babylonian Empire um, was a little unique. They were, known for their, um, they were known for their reputation of tolerance. Now, we hear that word spoken of a lot these days. We're all about tolerance. And so that meant that even though the Jews were in captivity, they were allowed to practice their religion, which was really important for them. Remember that God had given the Jews a very specific rules. He had, very, he had written out a bunch of rules that he wanted his people to follow. And he did it because he wanted them to be set apart. He wanted people to look at this group and say, that is a special group of people. That is God's holy, those are God's holy people. And so the Jews were able to maintain many of their customs in captivity. Now, the Babylonians were defeated by the Persian Empire, and they kind of inherited their captives. So you can see on this timeline, we've got the Babylonian Empire. You recognize some names, right? King Nebuchadnezzar. And then the Persian Empire, we have, we have Cyrus. You remember him. He was the, he was the king that led the, let the captives go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That was that king, King Cyrus. Then we have Darius, a different Darius than the Darius in Daniel. 
And then there were like three other little kings that didn't last very long. And then we have Xerxes. And Xerxes is the king that we refer to in in Esther's story. That's what most people agree that that's King Xerxes. Now, the setting. We're in the Persian Empire in 480 BC. And this is a map of the Persian Empire. Now, it doesn't look this big on that map, right? However, during the height of the Persian Empire, which was during King Xerxes' time, the Persian Empire held 44% of the world's population. So King Xerxes was the king of almost half of the world's population. It is the largest percentage of any empire in the history of the world, which is a really big deal. We think of Xer- when we think of Xerxes in the story of Esther, he's kind of a little bit of a side character, but Xerxes was a powerful man, a very powerful man. And I want you to remember that later as we talk about how Esther behaves in the story of Xerxes. Now, Xerxes was prophesied by Daniel. Daniel said, Now then I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia, and then a fourth, who will be far richer than the others. And when he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. And that's in Daniel 11.2. So Xerxes came to power after his father Darius, and he inherited a huge kingdom. Now, a piece of trivia. Let's see if anybody can remember their history Do you know what kingdom and great leader comes after the Persian Empire? Who comes next? Alexander the Great. That's right. Good job. Somebody must have looked at my notes earlier. Yes, Alexander the Great. And he was from the country of Greece. That's right. And here is Daniel prophesying about King Xerxes. I want you to keep this in mind as we go through the story of Esther, that Xerxes was a powerful king, He ruled almost half of the world's population. But keep in mind that there is this country, Greece, above him, that is getting bigger and bigger, and it is clearly a threat. Now, when Xerxes comes to power, he comes after his father, Darius. Darius tried to to defeat the Greeks, and he failed miserably. And everyone was looking to Xerxes to stand up to the Greeks and to conquer them. Now, Xerxes was also known as a very hot-tempered king. Historians have stories of him. Um, People come to see King Xerxes, and he's happy and joyful one minute and angry and, and murderous the next minute. And there are stories recorded where people would come to his court, Xerxes would be displeased, and he'd order their execution immediately that day, sometimes right there on the spot. I want you to keep that in mind also as we go next into our next main character in this story, who is Esther. Now, Esther is not her real name. Her, that Esther is her Persian name. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah, which means myrtle tree. Now, when we picture myrtle trees, we picture crepe myrtles, right? Those really pretty, you know, delicate fragrant trees all over around here. But in the Middle East, the myrtle bush is actually a low-growing shrub, and it's very hardy, you know, because it's a dry, deserty climate over there. It has to be really hardy to withstand the temperature. And the leaves are very thick. Now, myrtle is known to be a very fragrant bush, but the only way you're going to smell and enjoy that fragrance is if the leaves are crushed, And we're going to see that in Esther's story, that she is strong 
and that when she is put into a situation where, her, where she is crushed, her fragrance really comes through. Now, Esther is an orphan. She's raised by her cousin Mordecai in the city of Susa. And when we read through the story of Esther, we're not given very many of her qualities. Only one, really. Esther was beautiful. It's the only adjective we really get of Esther, is that she's beautiful. Now, sometimes I read this story and I get frustrated with that. Like, all all they care about is Esther's beauty. That's all we see in Esther, is Esther's beauty. However, when we read through the story, when we look at the things that Esther's done, her character traits really do shine through. One of the things that has often bothered me as I've read through the story of Esther is how many times she hesitates. Did you notice that in the story? There were multiple times where Esther comes to a point of decision and she hesitates. She doesn't move forward. And that's bothered me sometimes. But this past couple, these past few weeks as I've been reading through the story of Esther, of Esther, I've been looking at it a little differently. When Mordecai asks her to approach the king, she counters and she says that she can't, or she can't enter the king's court. The punishment is death if the king does not extend his scepter. Now remember, in the story, she has not been called to the king in 30 days. Now, King Xerxes had many wives, he had a large harem, and you only went to him when he called you, and it had been 30 days. Esther was out of touch. She hadn't seen the king. Remember we talked about Xerxes, he's hot-tempered, he's known to make rash decisions, and she doesn't know what his temperament is, and he's got the Greeks breathing down his back. There's a lot of pressure. So Mordecai comes to her, and he asks her to plead for her people, and she hesitates. And then we, hear the fa- we see the famous lines. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now if you're reading the story When we saw Esther hesitate before, now we see her act in wisdom. And her reply is to go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You know, so you see, Esther, you feel like Esther hesitated, and then she comes through, and you're like, yeah, go, Esther. And so then she goes to the king's court, and he holds out the scepter. He's having a good day, right? All right. He seems gracious. He's in a good me- mood, and he says, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? It shall be given to you even to half the kingdom. Now, Esther knows he's hot-tempered, He has a history of executing people who displease him, dethroning his queen in a hot temper. And so instead of asking for a favor, she asks, she offers a gift. And she invites the king and Haman to a banquet. And you know the phrase, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer? She's using this feast to assess the situation. 
She hasn't been near the king in 30 days, and she needs some time. So, and she needs some time. And why do you think she invites Haman? Now, remember, Haman is the king's right-hand man. Haman is the king's prime minister. How did Haman even get that ruling into, into play? The king gave him his royal ring, his seal. That, that's basically, that's the king giving him power. He's like, this ring, this proves power. You can do whatever you want with this ring, and here, I'm giving it to you. Esther knew that. Esther knew that Haman was close to the king, and she was not right now. So we get to the banquet. It's her first banquet. And again, the king says, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of the kingdom. And you think she's going to ask for it, right? You're like, go, Esther, go, Esther. And she asks for another banquet. You're like, all right. Now, a few very important things happen before the second banquet. Number one, Haman gets upset about Mordecai, and he builds a huge gallows in his backyard. Now, the the Bible says that it's 50 cubits high, and if you translate that to feet, that's 75 feet, which is huge, right? I mean, very huge. Can't hide that. Everybody knows about it. I'm sure there is tension. I'm sure Esther knows about it. And she knows that Haman is upset. Another thing happens. The king can't go to sleep. So he has the book of Chronicles read to him, and he's reminded of Mordecai's great deed. And of course, that wonderful twist to the story where Mordecai thinks that he, or where Haman thinks that he's going to be honored, but really he has to do all those honoring things to Mordecai. How do you think? And Haman, again, is furious. And... Haman is the king's right-hand man. Esther knows this. She knows that tension is high. The empire is at its height. The Greek army is getting stronger, and now her husband's trusted advisor is obviously enraged. And she's only spent one evening with the king. Esther needs more time, so when the request comes again, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of the kingdom. Instead, she invites him to another feast. And now this feast is a little different. This feast lasts for two full days. Esther has plenty of time to be with the king. Remember, when the king first saw Esther, he had all the women of Susa, all the beautiful women of Susa, brought to his harem. They were there for 12 months, 12 months beautified. But the moment he sees Esther, he, he thinks she is beautiful, and he names her his queen right then and there. The king loves Esther, and she has time to spend with him. She's, she's held these banquets. She's spending time with the king. This banquet lasts for two days, and this time we see that request come again. What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to the half of the kingdom. And this time, Esther pleads her case. If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, and I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. 
for our affliction is not to be compared to the king. Now Xerxes, hot-tempered as ever, reacts strongly, only this time he reacts in favor of Esther. And he, turn, and he looks at his right-hand man, Haman, and he sees that evil that's in him, and he executes him. Esther hesitated. She did. She waited. She fasted. She prayed. She patiently waited her time. And there are times in our lives where we have to wait, right? In, in this culture where we live, in this time period, waiting isn't always looked on as honorable, right? We don't want to be that indecisive person. We don't want to be that person who waits and makes people wait for us, right? We're, we're a country of action. We, we know what we want. We go for it, we do it, and we, and we succeed. That is what we do, right? That's not, that's not what God asks us to do all the time. Like, yeah, God wants us to be decisive. He wants us to act. He wants us to succeed, but not on our own. Sometimes we have a tendency to rush past what God wants us to do instead of waiting. So today, this is the story that I, this is the lesson that I want you to take from Esther. That Esther waited on God's leading. She fasted. She prayed. She was wise. She read the situation. And in the end, God honored her for that. I can, if we could all just pray for a little bit while the worship team comes up for the last song. Dear God, thank you so much for the story of Esther. Thank you for for putting that in the Bible for us, for showing us this beautiful queen who was more than just beautiful, this beautiful woman who waited on your word. And Lord, let us be those people. Let us be a people of patiently waiting on you, waiting to hear your voice, listening for your voice, and when we hear that voice, when we know that we are hearing from you, Lord, Lord, let us be like Esther and taking a step in faith, stepping forward, being courageous, and doing the things that you have asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel's Located podcast. in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body larger of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples and He is our rabbi. Is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes, music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.